Well, good morning or good afternoon or good evening, whatever part of the day you are joining us at. Very warm welcome back to Generation Podcast. We've had a break over the summer. I hope you all have had a really good time, a restful time, because although we've been in semi-lockdown, I know it's tiring for many people. Uh, We've certainly had a break here at Generation, uh, but we're looking forward to getting up, uh, running again for this new normal, whatever it will look like. The topic is, as always, some aspect of mission, and I have a guest today. My guest is Malcolm McGregor. Malcolm is the Associate Director for Pastoral Care, and he's working for One Element of the Langham Partnership. Good morning, Malcolm, and welcome. Yes, good morning, David. Thank you. It's a privilege to uh, just spend a few moments with you and with your audience as well. Thank you. Yes. Great. Malcolm, you've always got a Scottish accent here. We say the Generation Podcast is mission through a Scottish accent. Tell us a wee bit about yourself. I'm interested where you were brought up. Just a wee bit about your story. Okay, right. A quick one. Well, we're actually from Glasgow, although our accent, because we've travelled so much, has been a bit contaminated. And um, born on the edge of Glasgow, my father was in you know, just a working class family and uh, he was in a foundry and shipbuilding, um, studied architecture at Strathclyde University, got married uh, to my wife, Liz, wonderful Um wife uh, in 2000, in 1990 in 1972 this is a long yeah, time ago yeah I hope you remember your wedding anniversary <laughs> I do well it's a, it's the 27th of December so I can't it gets sometimes it gets lost in amongst the, right, the Christmas yeah. period you're just not but, sure the year yeah yeah we had a what I would say both of us had a what I would call initially a god-given sense of adventure and uh, 1975, um, I got a job working as an architect in Nigeria after having qualified and went to Nigeria, spent um, seven years there in architecture. And it was during that time that we came into contact with the mission organization, SIM. It was a very rich time being part of uh, um, a church that grew out of the ministry of of SIM and also we met many SIM missionaries that touched and influenced our lives. Um, It was a very um, spiritually a very rich time for us but also a hard time. During that time Liz, my wife, had two ectopic pregnancies and uh, she had to have emergency operations and that was not easy in Nigeria, and also has meant that we we don't have any family, and because of that, um, and uh, so those who are medical will understand the, the seriousness of that. Um, but we um, came back to to Scotland for a shorter period of time in um, 1982, and uh, then worked as an architect for a few, couple of years, and then 1985. We became full-time missionaries with SIM in Ethiopia during the Ethiopian famine, the 84 to 86 famine that was going on in Ethiopia. Um, We stayed there for 11 years, involved mostly in the discipleship ministry with university students and also helping establish SIM established development stations in some of the famine areas. And then 96 to 2003, I was the um, SIM UK North Europe director based just on the edge of London. 
um, for that time. And then um, 2003 to 2013, um, I became the international director of SIM based in Charlotte, uh, just on the edge of Charlotte in, in North Carolina. So that was a 10-year stint in the United States, um, overseeing the, the mission work globally. And then um, came back to Scotland in 2013 um, after having left in 1975. So it was, that's our journey. Um, you know, um, initially in Scotland, had about three and a half years working on the pastoral team at Carabas Christian Centre, which is the church that we still go to. And um, now working for the Langham Partnership Scholars Programme with my wife. Wow, there's a lot to go on there, Malcolm. That's super. It's a lot of material. Just one or two questions for you. Um, one about your, can you describe what does a call to mission look like? That's a, that's a good question in our, in our situation, David, because it, I mean, we can't say it was kind of like that kind of Damascus Road experience that Paul had. It was what I would call it, it was a journey into mission. And um, I think, um, you know, when Liz had her two ectopic pregnancies and uh, obviously we were in our early 30s, you had, a, you had a plan that you saw your life moving into with, with a family and you thought, gosh, this, is, this door has been closed. Um, and, um, and so this was, this was hard for us. We wrestled with God on that. But... Um, you know, so often we think we have a right to have children and we have to come to realize that that is, is not our right. It's a great privilege, but it wasn't our right to have children. And, and so we began to think, well, what do we do? Here we are in our early 30s. What do we, what do, we do with our life? Where do we go? And we actually wrote a letter to about 12 close friends and just says, here's a crossroads that we're at. Um, we're, we're thinking, we're praying. I've had all this experience in, uh, in Nigeria. We have a love for um, the continent of Africa. You know, what, what do you think? What, is, what do you feel God is saying to us? Well, when we sent that, that letter off, um, we sent it to one man, a Dr. Finlay MacDonald in Edinburgh, who was the, at that time the, the SIM um, chairman of, of their their board here in Scotland, and he was actually just about head off to Ethiopia, which was just going into the famine. And so, to cut a long story short, he actually came back from that uh, three week trip with his wife, saying that he felt and his wife felt that uh, God had a place for us in Ethiopia. They needed an architect who could get involved in in helping. Um, established development stations as they look beyond the famine. And also they, they needed a music teacher at the, the school that the mission ran in, uh, in Addis Ababa, um, Bingham Academy. And so we, we really took that, um, David, as, a, as a, an indication, well, here's, here's some significant needs. We have a passion for the continent of Africa. Let's start this journey. And so we, we did. God opened the door and... Uh, We've uh, we had an an amazing 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 eleven years in in Ethiopia. Right. Um, so could I summarise? You know, your calling was there was first of all an uh, inner compulsion, inner question. Then there was a second set of providences in your life. 
Thirdly, there was asking advice of the wider church through your chosen friends. And would you say that all of these streams contributed, you know, ultimately to that opportunity in Ethiopia? I think so. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think with our own just reading of scripture and, and our own commitment to to our daily walk with God, all of this, yeah, together came in that direction. And, okay. Um, Can I, I'm, I hope it's is not digging too deeply into your, your personal lives, but you, you've raised that whole childlessness issue. And I think so many folk listening to this podcast, will, their ears will, will, will prick up there. Many of our listeners will yeah. in the province of God have been childless. Was there, was there an element of, of bitterness through that hard providence? Or how did you guys work it out? Yeah, that's, that's an interesting question, David. Um, I mean, I think after Liz had our second ectopic and she had our operation in, in um, you know, to to stop it, um, the, 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 the fallopian tube bursting in, in, in Ethiopia, we, we have a year after that came back to the UK and um, I think we, we, we handled that and we, we dealt with that. I think um, we managed to, sort of, I think, move through that okay. But right at that time, David, um, you know, the whole work on in vitro fertilization was starting and um, it was really at its infancy and um, and was proving a great success. And, and we had saved some money by working overseas in business and, and we thought, well, gosh, shouldn't we try this? And, uh, and we, we did go ahead with that. David, um, we 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 looked at it. We looked at it. Talked to um, some friends who were gynecologists and and others, and and they encouraged us who were who were Christians encouraged us to to move ahead with that. We went ahead with that, and uh, and well, me Liz got pregnant, but um, she lost the pregnancy after um, after about twelve weeks. And and I think that was that was where the big struggle came for us. You know, we dealt I think with the two ectopic pregnancies, but then we we, we saw this other door, and and I suppose we then I think wrestled with God for for the next couple of months after that, um, and and really sort of came to a I would say a crossroads to thinking well, you know. We either just ditch God from our lives if if we don't, you know, if, if all that we are out for is getting what we want, we just say, well, let's 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 walk away from from God. He's he's not taking care of us, or we throw ourselves totally on God for our future. And I think at that time, when we we identified that the, that crossroads, we said we have to throw ourselves totally on God for our future. And and so we we then moved in that direction of of opening ourselves up to mission and and what God um, had for us and and that and an amazing an amazing life we've had um, over these since that time God has blessed us in multiple ways in seeing so many spiritual children you know birth through our ministry that we've been involved in meeting the most incredible people that have touched our lives and influenced us in lots of different ways. So looking back, we think, is God robbing us of stuff here? And 
what we found is actually, as we've journeyed, you know, we think, wow, we are so, so blessed. We, we are so, so blessed. Yeah, so would it be true? I don't even like using the word, but talking maybe about compensations. I mean, you, you said earlier that you had a spirit of adventure. The fact that, you know, you didn't have the responsibility of children, um, you know, did that almost <laughs> free you up to be even more adventurous? in your lives and, and to be more mobile than you would have normally been. Well, exactly. It did, actually. I remember you, your question takes me back to uh, May 1991 in Ethiopia. And uh, at that time, the, 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 the troops of the Ethiopian People's Revolutionary Democratic Front were moving in on Addis Ababa to take over the city from the Marxist government. And uh, on a Sunday morning, we got a call from our international director, sorry, our, our local director in Ethiopia, um, to say to us, we've heard from the embassies that the, these troops are going to attack Addis Ababa in the morning. And, uh, but he said the last flight is leaving from, from Addis Ababa um, this afternoon. Um, there is a seat on that flight for Liz. Do you, you, know, do you want to take that seat for her? And and on the phone call, I immediately said yes. You know, let's. You know, I thought of her mother back here at home, who's on her own, and just the worry for her. And um, I said yes, let's let's do that. But immediately, I put the phone down, and it's one of these occasions in life where I think, you know, there's only very few of them where God has just spoken to me directly. And I said to Liz, Liz, I think I made the wrong decision. I think we need to stay together through this. And so I get back on the phone to our director, Dr. Adams, and said, Dr. Adams, we've changed our mind. Liz and I are going to stay through this, um, this, this situation with the, the young people that we've been working with. And, and, and so if we'd had children at that time, David, I'm sure we would have said, right, Let's let's move out of this. You know, let's get Liz and the children away from here because of the danger. And and amazingly, you know, when we left Ethiopia in 1996, we had a conference with a lot of the the young people that we worked with who had become adults and who were starting their own families. And and one of the guys, I remember his name is Kifli Kifli Barhano, and Kifli. Um, said at this little gathering that we had before we left, he said, you know, Malcolm and Liz, you've done a lot for us. You've taught us. You've trained us. We've got away for conferences. Um, we've just, you know, you, God has used you in an amazing way in our lives. But he said, the most important thing you did for us was that you stayed with us wow. through that time of crisis in May 1991 when the EPRDF moved in to take the city. You were there and you went through it with us. And he said that spoke more to us um, than anything else. And so, yeah, I think we see lots of other situations in the, in the way we've been able to be involved in ministry together, travel together. Um, it would have been very difficult if we had had a family. And yeah, yeah. So we, we can look back with with a, a great sense of thanksgiving for the journey that God has, has taken us on. Um, great. Yeah. That's wonderful. Thank you for being so candid. I want to talk just a little bit about 
Well, the continent of Africa is absolutely huge, or, or Asia, anywhere in the majority of the world, indeed. One of the great things about the Langham Partnership in all its aspects, indeed, this is its very DNA, is to help indigenous church leaders and, and to grow them. Um, would you say that the indigenization of the African church is is going well, or is there a long way to go? Um, I think it's I think it's going great. Um, I mean, uh, you know, I think one of the most exciting things in global mission in the last twenty years is the the investment of African churches in global mission. Um, this is um, there there are I think probably about. 40 Ethiopian missionaries serving with SIM in, think of in India and in China and other parts mm. of Africa. And even in Latin America, there are Nigerians and serving with SIM. So there's a, there's a, they have a, these churches have a great passion for the world and, and for global mission. And, uh, and so I see them, them growing. I mean, one of the big indicators I think of growth is, is a commitment to theological education and uh, we see SIM, whom we are also part of, and Langham have invested a huge amount in this um, right over the continent, um, not just in, in bachelor's level theological education, but also in postgraduate level theological education. And we've got, just now Langham has got three women here in the UK from the um, Ethiopian Graduate School of and theology in Addis Ababa, and they're working to do their PhDs. One is in Durham, one here in Edinburgh, and one in St. Andrews. Two of them will finish next year. And um, in fact, three of them may even finish next year and go back to, to that institution. So there's a there's a great commitment within the churches of, of good theolo theological reflection. And one of the other indicators is that Africans are beginning to write David, um, I don't know if you've come across the publication, the Africa Bible Commentary. Sure, um, it's now in the second edition, isn't it? It's, it's now in the second it. edition. Yeah. Now, that Africa Bible Commentary grew out of the ministry of SIM and Langham working together. And you know, here you've got you've got you know seventy African scholars, you know, writing. Um, with the, the the main editor, Dr. Takumbo Adiemo, who sadly is is passed away now, um, and um, writing articles and, and and reflecting, you know, on these um, right through the, the Bible, and and that is growing. You know, Langham has a great passion for encouraging Indigenous writers and and giving them avenues for actually publishing and. Um, their work, so I think that's another good indication that that there's good thinking. Um, good depth of, of work happening there. Um, and then even just coming back to SIM itself, you know, I was international director up until 2013. Um, I recruited um, to my leadership team in, in the United States um, a medical doctor who was functioning in a hospital in the Niger Republic. His name is, is Dr. Joshua Boganjoko. Joshua was, was an amazing leader, and he proved that in, in the running of this hospital in the Niger Republic. I recruited him to my leadership team. Well, Joshua is now the international director of SIM. 
you know, as an African, he's leading this global organization. He's based also in the United States and, and doing, a, doing a tremendous job in, in his leadership there on that. So uh, there's just a, there's a, a huge amount, you know, taking place uh, within the African continent. Um, and I think churches are realizing that the, the need for, for good teaching, good discipleship models to, to be worked through and, and committing to that. Yeah. Yeah, would you say that, you know, is there a distinctive flavour? We spoke about accents earlier on. Um, would you say that African theology had a particular distinctive or, you know, accent or, or what can it teach uh, us in the minority world? You know, given, of course, you know, I think our, our listeners will appreciate now that 61% of all Christian believers live in the non-Western world, which is, you know, one of the major changes in the last, as you say, 20, 25 years. So talk a wee bit about accents and and culture in African theology. Mm. Uh, I'm just trying to think broadly across the the continent. I think that's still developing, you know, um, in different ways. I think it's Think of some of these scholars who are going back to Ethiopia. They will be maybe some of the ones that will begin to to bring that about um, in in the long term. I think there's, I mean, obviously there's different accents in different places. I think of I think of Ethiopia, where I mean, Ethiopia and Nigeria are the the countries that we know best. Um, I think say Ethiopia, which has a rich Christian heritage through the Orthodox Church, and and some of these theologians are looking. You know, seriously about their orthodox, um, these are evangelicals, but they're looking at what they can learn from their orthodox heritage um, and and reflecting on that in some of the ancient writings that are there. Um, I think one of the other big challenges um, within the continent is in, in the area of... Um, you know, prosperity theology, like we find it in other parts of the, the, the world as well, in the United States here and even in the UK. Um, there is, there is. I mean, there's some good work being done in that. We've got a, an Ethiopian friend who's, who's writing a book in Amharic just now on this whole area, challenging the whole um, um, area of, of prosperity theology. When you're poor, when you're... When you've got so little and someone gives you this message of uh, come to Christ and, and you can have all that you need, then that becomes a, a very seductive um, thing to offer. And, um, and then, you know, how do we, how do we you know, fight against that theology? And, and there are Africans that are doing that in, in, in good ways and, and pushing back against that. Um, sadly, a lot of the prosperity theology has quite a bit of money through television, through Christian television, other ways that, that kind of beam into countries and, and that becomes quite a, a difficult thing for, for those in the ground to push back against. Okay. Now, I must ask you this question because you're probably one of the few people who can answer it. You have been out of Scotland. You left in 1975. You've been away for 38 years. Okay, given that a lot of that time was maybe in in Charlotte, North Carolina, but a lot of it was in Asia and and Africa. 
Leslie Newbegin had a, a bigger awakening when he returned from India to the UK and he saw it as you know a mission situation. Can you tell me or us or listeners what your impressions were coming back to Scotland and the UK after that gap of 38 years? Yeah, well, I mean, huge changes, David. I mean, just immense changes in in society, immense changes in um, a social order and how things function. Um, yeah, just um, the whole issues of uh, of of gender and and the rise of of a whole new dialogue in that area. Um, and um, uh, a realization also that the that the Christian faith is under pressure um, now in in different ways, and uh, because of what we believe. And and I don't think that's a bad thing. I think actually it's a good thing, um, because from my experience um, overseas, is um, the more the Christian faith is backs against the wall, the more God's work gets done. So I, I'm not fearful of that in any way. Um, and we just see, you know, acts of parliament that that are moving towards um, areas that that will compromise, you know, what we believe and what we teach. Um, so there is a, yeah, there's a, there's a huge shift, um, you know, within within the nation of Scotland throughout that period of time where the Christian faith, I think, has been. It's been kind of written off. We've been there. We've done that. There's nothing there for us. Um, and, you know, people are open to so many other areas of belief or, or no belief. And, and the rise, I think, of, of um, I think, a, a strong militant atheism has, has been, you know, has, has been very significant. Um, you know, so I think there, there, yeah, there's, this is a, yeah, the landscape of the church has 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 changed tremendously in that period of time, and uh, we've certainly felt that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, w- one of the things as well, I'm really interested in Malcolm. I don't know if the circles you move in, but the circles we move in here in, in the Free Church of Scotland, we find that the older generation are. I think the word I can only use is a phenomenal in terms of their interest and support and knowledge of global mission. You know, we talk about the green, the, <clears throat> the green pound and the, the grey pound. Uh, they give sacrificially to mission. Uh, they, they know the situations. They are really engaged. We find that the younger generation are mm, maybe slightly less engaged or engaged in different ways. Can you, you know, suggest or encourage ways in which the emerging generation, those in their teens, twenties, and thirties, can get involved in international missions? Yeah, yeah. I mean, our experience in coming back to Scotland has been different from what you've described there. I mean, at Carabas Christian Centre, I mean, they have a very strong mission passion, overseas mission passion, supporting quite a number of mission families. And, and we've even got a young couple who are just about to, you know, hoping to get heading off to Ecuador shortly. Um, and and so, and also within Carabas, there's been a, a 
a huge tradition of, of young people going on short-term mission to different parts of the world, to Eastern Europe, to South America, to Africa, to Asia. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I think... I think one of the things here is for this new generation, David, is I think people need to actually feel and sense things themselves. They, they, they need to actually taste and see what is going on and, and let God touch them through that. And so that's where I think it is important that, that you know, people, young people can, and, and churches should encourage young people to take um, opportunities to to go overseas and, and serve in different ways. It might only be for for a few months or six months or a year, but I think these these become very significant in terms of how it touches people's lives. And um, we're in, a I think, a culture that, that wants to actually not just hear about this and not just be told the stories of it, but want to actually feel and touch it. So I think that would be my encouragement um, for for churches to um, to continue to be open to to send the young people overseas, have a commitment every year to maybe send a few and uh, work with them in finding these places and and journey with them through what they learn from that. Um, because I know that most most of the people that are stepping into mission full time today have all had one or two or even more. Um, significant short-term experiences that have taken them along in this journey. Wow, yeah. I mean, I'm glad you say that. As I say in, in political circles, I hope I didn't misspeak earlier when I said that young folk are perhaps less interested. I think you, the point you made is so valid that they express it in a different way to an older generation. And we are certainly finding that young people who do go on short-term mission very often get the, the bug and get the, the vision of the world. And of course, diaspora is big now, isn't it? The, the world is changing. Yeah. Um, yeah. People are coming to us far more than the, that was the case in, yeah. in the past. Yeah. Yeah. So <clears throat> we, we're coming to, to the end now, Martin. This has just flown by. Can you just tell us one or two things about what you're involved in just now? You are one of the directors of CARE, uh, Pastoral CARE uh, for Langham Scholars. What does that involve in a day-to-day? And, you know, what internationals are you working with? Yeah. Okay. Um the Scholars Program, um, you know, all of the Langham work has grown out of the life and ministry of Dr. John Stodd. And, um, you know, John Stodd had a huge traveling ministry and um, when he was alive. And, you know, he, he met people in different parts of the world whom he just saw had, had great potential for, for, for growth and development. And he, he recognized that you know, good scholarship was so important, especially in emerging churches. And uh, and so he began through, through his own investment, you know, to give to that. And, and then obviously the preaching was a, a passion that he had and writing was another passion that he had. So the, the ministry has grown out of, of his life. Um, I mean, currently we have um, about 80 scholars around the world studying for their PhDs. Um, here in the UK, we've maybe got about 20. Um, just now, we um, most of them are 
a good number of them are studying full time, some um, some part time, you know, over a six year period. There's a, a wonderful place called the Oxford Centre for Mission Studies, where people in ministry can actually work towards a PhD and um, maybe over a six year period. And uh, we've got a number of people who are, who are there, but most of our <clears throat> Our people in the UK are, are studying full time. We have just now a, a young Vietnamese uh, man in the city of Aberdeen who's actually just handed in his thesis. He has his viva this month. I pray that he gets through that. And um, then we have um, a lady with her husband and two children. She's studying for a PhD in St. Andrews. Um, we have another lady here in Edinburgh. Um, from Ethiopia with her husband who's looking after their two children and he's supporting her in her PhD. We have a girl from the Philippines here um, who's in her early 30s who's um, doing a very interesting PhD thesis on the the life of uh, Archbishop John Christostrom and he was one of the most significant writers and looking at just what we can learn from him on leadership um, we have a, a China, you know, scholar here from China as well. Um, we have another Ethiopian in Durham. We have a couple of scholars in Cambridge University, one from Hong Kong and one from Nigeria. A um, couple of in, uh, in London, at the London School of Theology. Uh, one also from China, the other uh, a lady from, uh, um, uh, from uh, a Palestinian um, living in in, uh, in Beth from Bethlehem Bible College, and she is uh, she's doing a, a, a PhD thesis on the role of women within the evangelical church in on the in the Arab continent. Um, then we've got a group of them also studying at the Overseas Centre for Mission Studies. So that's that's a kind of so our role, David, is really just actually walking alongside them. We don't have any responsibilities for their studies. And this is, this is they have their supervisors, they have the universities that care for them and seek to journey with them in that way. But John Stott recognized that, you know, if people cross cultural barriers and come into new places to study, it is not an easy thing. And so having had so many years overseas, we understand that and and so our desire is to journey with each of these scholars make sure i mean we've had to do a fair bit to helping some of the scholars with families um and in terms of you know their schooling for the children getting good resources finding accommodation for them we we get involved in we, we meet with them regularly to pray and just hear how they're doing support them and and in other ways, we, we, we make sure they're embedded in a church that, they're, that, that their whole life experience here in the UK is not just about a PhD, but is also about learning and walking alongside others in a church in, in the country. Um, we get involved, we pull all the scholars together um, annually for a, um, a scholars consultation in Cambridge, at Cambridge University, where they share about their studies and uh, interact with one another, uh, listen to what each other is studying, critique them. Um, we also, um, every year, take a group of them away to um, um, a wonderful uh, retreat centre in the south um, west of Wales that, that John Stott established, a place called the Hooksies. And we take a group of them there for basically a holiday um, for a week 
usually each year we take a group there just to get away from the studies. I mean, especially for the children, um, it's it's a great experience for them. So, so that it's a very mixed um, um, area, you know, um, of of responsibility. But uh, the greatest joy is actually seeing them complete and and graduate and and head back to the country to invest in a nation. I think of our scholar in Aberdeen, you know, the, the, the church in, in Vietnam needs him. Uh, and uh, we're just praying that he can get through there and head back um, to Ho Chi Minh City and begin to to serve, you know, in, in the church in that great nation. Yeah. So that's a little wow. bit about what we do. Um, and, and of course, we learn tremendous amounts from these people as well. You know, it's just... Uh, it's it's a great privilege, yeah. Dipping into their lives, their cultures, um, we 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 so enjoy that. Yeah, that's wonderful. I mean, uh, we will put a link uh, to Langham at the bottom of our information for today's podcast. The website is uh, uk.langham.org. If anybody is interested, you know, there's great stats like. Um, every day, there's 174,000 new believers uh, converted in the world. Every week, there's 4,000 new churches, most of that in the majority of the world. So God mm-hmm. is at work, and there's so much to yeah. encourage us. Yeah. Um, Malcolm, we're coming to an end now, but uh, and I hope we'll be able to talk again. There's many general issues that you spoke about that I want to uh, unpack. So maybe in a couple of months' time, God willing, we'll meet up again in the podcast yeah. and we'll, we'll chat about these things. Um, thank you so much for giving us your time. And, you know, thank you so much to you and Liz for giving of your life to the work of the gospel. Yeah. Well, thank Folks. you for just the opportunity to share with you and um, just all those that are listening and uh, may God just uh, inspire each one of you in uh, the calling that he's given you, whether it be local or global, may you be encouraged in that. Thank you, Malcolm. And to our podcast listeners, again, great to have you with us. Please tell other folk about the podcast as we look at mission with a Scottish accent. Next week, uh, my guest will be one of my own colleagues, Gordon Matheson. Gordon ministers in a rural congregation in the south of Skye called Strath and Slate, covering the areas of Slate in the south of Skye and the village of Broadford. So Gordon will be talking to us about rural ministry, he'll be talking to us about politics and a whole lot of other things as we chat together. Thank you for being with us today, everyone, and we hope you have a day, a great day. God bless.